0: Stephen Miller consistently pushes Trump in the most aggressive direction in his rhetoric and in his policies. And Trump has found that whenever he listens to a more moderate advisor, he ends up getting ridiculed by his base as weak.
1: Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Stephen Miller is the most powerful senior advisor to President Trump who you may not have heard of. The 35-year-old anti-immigration activist has been the moving force behind Trump's immigration policy and his darkest speeches. Miller has conjured apocalyptic visions of immigrants as an existential threat to America and has targeted refugees, asylum seekers, and most infamously, children. Miller is revered by Rush Limbaugh and compared to Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels. So, who is Stephen Miller and why should we care about him? To shed light on this, we turn to Jean Guerrero, a journalist and former reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Her new book is Hatemonger, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, and the White Nationalist Agenda. Jean Guerrero, welcome to the Vermont Conversation.
0: Great to be here. You
1: had an op-ed piece in the New York Times, and you described the Republican National Convention and particularly some of the -the over-the-top language that we were hearing about a, quote, radical left hellscape. Uh, And you, quote, Trump as saying, quote, your vote will decide whether we protect law-abiding Americans or whether we give free reign to violent anarchists and agitators and criminals who threaten our citizens. This is partly the subject of your book and writing about Stephen Miller. Where does this apocalyptic language come from?
0: Well, it comes from Stephen Miller, who is his top speech writer, his senior advisor. And Stephen Miller is pulling this language from the white supremacist and white nationalist literature that he's been reading for a very long time. Uh, the, this phrase that Trump loves to use that you heard throughout the RNC and that you see repeatedly in Trump's tweets conflating anti-racist protesters with agitators and anarchists is something that comes directly from a book called The Camp of the Saints. It's a white supremacist book about the destruction of the white world by a horde of refu- brown and black refugees who are described in horrifically dehumanizing language, You know, described as monsters, described as beasts, described as teeming ants toiling for the white man's comfort, and you know, basically, you know, putting forth this theory of white genocide, a white supremacist conspiracy theory that when black and brown people ally with anti-racist protesters, then we will see an end to civilization. And Stephen Miller promoted this book in 2015 through the right wing blog Breitbart. And you see him pulling themes and language directly from this book and inserting them into Trump's speeches, his tweets, especially leading up to November Trump is really leaning on this dystopian vision this idea that you know anti-racist protesters black lives matter you know people who are protesting police brutality that they're somehow out to destroy civilization which completely ignores the reality which is that you know right-wing extremists are responsible for about 90% of extremist related plots and attacks in the United States this this year alone
1: so for people who aren't familiar, because really the name Stephen Miller isn't, was not familiar really to anybody before 2016,
0: right. and
1: only close, you know, sort of Trump watchers are probably familiar with the name now. So who is Stephen Miller?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's a young guy. He at the age of thirty one, he was put in charge of of making policies for this country, and it's it's part of why we see a lot of the crises that we see today. I, I mean, I, I I like to say that you know to understand this era of of, of crises that we're living, you have to understand the story of, of Stephen Miller, and he is uh you know he's he's a Jewish American who grew up in Santa Monica, California, a liberal city. Um, And from a very young age, began to express very conservative and contrarian viewpoints you know going around his public high school which was a very diverse high school that celebrated multiculturalism and he he would go around you know telling his mexican classmates to go back to their countries he would tell them to speak english he would go to school board meetings to argue against measures to improve racial equity and a lot of the language that he was using as a high school kid mirrored a rhetoric that was very common across california in the 90s in which he was in the California that he was growing up in, you know, part of the reason I was attracted to the story of Stephen Miller is because I grew up in Southern California during the same time period. And at the time, there was just this anti-immigrant hostility across the state. You saw unprecedented bipartisan attacks on bilingual education, on affirmative action, on social services for children of undocumented migrants. There was just this tendency to scapegoat immigrants for everything that was going wrong in the state. You had the Republican governor talking about the quote unquote invasion at the border and how every you know the state's fiscal and national sec- security problems were related to that alleged invasion of families. So Stephen Miller was, you know, as a young kid internalizing this rhetoric and regurgitating it in meetings. He would go on this local right-wing talk show host to complain about multiculturalism as some kind of threat to civilization. And this is also when he meets a man named David Horowitz who is a former Marxist turned right-wing radical who essentially indoctrinates Stephen Miller during this vulnerable time period in his life. I mean, Stephen Miller His family had lost a lot of money related to their real estate company. They'd had to move from a very affluent part of Santa Monica to a slightly less affluent part. So he was feeling vulnerable. He was feeling displaced. And here comes David Horowitz and introduces him to this fantasy that the United States faces literal certain destruction in the form of the Democratic Party partnering up with Muslims and other people of color. And this is when Stephen Miller finds a sense of purpose, a sense of mission in his life that ends up, you know, consuming him and, and dictating the rest of his life.
1: Well, so I want to back up to that little detail that he is Jewish American. And this is relevant because uh, members of his family have denounced him. Uh, His uncle, David Glosser, who is a retired neuropsychologist wrote in Politico, Quote, if my nephew's ideas on immigration had been in force a century ago, our family would have been wiped out. So how does a uh, descendant of immigrants to this country, um, I guess, Holocaust refugees, how does he end up you know, attacking immigrants today? Where does this come from?
0: That's one of the questions I set out to solve. Like, how does the descendant of Jewish refugees you know how does that person end up crafting the harshest policies and rhetoric targeting people fleeing violence and persecution and and part of it is you know in this story of radicalization the fact that David Horowitz introduced him to you know, these ideas that everything we hold dear in America is a result of white men, that white men created freedom and equality, that, th- that racism against people of color is a figment of your imagination and that the only real important racism is racism against white men. Um, and and these are all ideas that that you know radicalized Stephen Miller as a as a young man. But it go, it goes completely against everything that he was taught by his family. You know his 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 grandmother on his mother's side, Ruth. She spent her entire retirement compiling the family history so that her grandchildren would never forget the value of people who come to this country in nothing but the clothes on their back and and speaking no English. Just as Stephen Miller's great grandparents came to this country, fleeing nationalist agitators and demonization of the Jewish people in Eastern Europe. But these are lessons that, you know, she tried to immortalize for him. She wrote them down specifically for him and her other grandchildren. And they're lessons that Stephen Miller directly assaulted for his entire life.
1: Has he ever addressed this issue of how the, you know, descendant of Jewish refugees is now attacking refugees
0: he himself has never, you know, I, I've none of the people that I've spoken to that I interviewed for the book could remember a time when you know Stephen Miller tried to reckon with this conflict inside of himself or, or tried to tried to talk about it openly. It, it doesn't seem to be something that bothers him. Um, I mean, his mentor David Horowitz is also a Jewish a Jewish man and there's just a, a, a growing but very small minority in the Jewish American community that hold these very right-wing views that court the same, you know, neo-Nazis that vilify the Jewish people and that want to do harm to the Jewish people. Um, and these are ideas that Steve Miller has never publicly reckoned with, to my knowledge. Um, it, it appears that he, he thinks he's perfectly justified in, in doing them.
1: Has, um, uh... Did Stephen Miller ever comment or uh, respond to any of your questions?
0: No, I reached out to Stephen Miller and the White House from the moment that I got the book deal, told them I wanted them to be a part of the process and, you know, offer them an opportunity to comment. And for a little while, they were acting like they were considering it. The deputy press secretary said they were thinking about it. But Ultimately, you know, my deadline came around and I'd followed up repeatedly and had had not heard back. So they, they chose ultimately not not to participate. And I, and I mean, this is part of how Stephen Miller has been able to stick around so long in the White House is that he, he likes to stay in the shadows. He likes to downplay his role. He, he's very careful that whenever he speaks to journalists, he's he's casting himself as a mere devoted vehicle for Trump's agenda. So this really works for Trump's ego. You know, as, as opposed to the actions of, for example, former chief strategist Steve Bannon, who was a mentor of Stephen Miller's and who got himself kicked out, you know, just a few months after starting in the White House because he was so obsessed with media attention, so obsessed with self mythologizing through the press. And this is something that Stephen Miller is very careful not to do. He's comfortable in Trump's shadow. And, you know, he, he, he never gets out ahead of him in a way that offends his sense of superiority. So with that
1: idea that he works in the background, how does he wield power? Because as you point out, he wields considerable influence across multiple agencies of government and including over the president himself.
0: Exactly. I mean, one of the ways is is his special relationship with Trump, which I just talked about a little bit, but I mean, you know, Stephen Miller gets Donald Trump in a way that no other person in the White House does. And and part of this is rooted in Stephen Miller's childhood, which I delve into in the book. You know, Stephen Miller's father is a real estate investor who was described to me as being very similar to Trump. He was described in court documents as a masterpiece of evasion and manipulation. He was plagued by bankruptcies and legal disputes related to his real estate company. So the same kind of, you know, business um, entanglements that you see Trump involved in And so part part of it is they come from very similar families. So Stephen Miller is able to have, you know, the outside influence to hit a proper management of his relationship with Donald Trump. But the other thing is, you know, Stephen Miller, um, he, he has repeatedly bypassed the bureaucracy, disregarded the input of national security experts, reached deep into the bowels of agencies to issue his orders so complete disregard for the regular po- policymaking procedure fr- from day one. I mean... And, in and
1: which all courts often find to be illegal or unconstitutional.
0: Exactly. That's why you see a lot of his orders, even just starting from the very beginning with the the Muslim ban being struck down by the courts and having to be rewritten multiple times before it was upheld. Um, and and it's it's because of this, you know, disregard for legal legal procedure that Stephen Miller, you know, does. But but it works. It works for Trump. I mean, Trump. Stephen Miller uh, consistently pushes Trump in the most aggressive direction in his rhetoric and in his policies, and trump has found that whenever he listens to a more moderate advisor he ends up getting ridiculed by his base as weak Mm. and you know trump hates that he wants to be seen as a killer he's talked throughout his life about the importance of killer instincts and stephen miller shares trump's instinct for violence because he has been reading white supremacist literature for so long and he has his hands on the pulse of that most you know aggressive hardcore base and so trump thinks he needs stephen miller to win again in November, he he believes that he won in 2016 in large part because of Stephen Miller and, and the way that he shaped his rhetoric and his, and his policies, and and he thinks he needs him again in 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 2020.
1: Gene, uh, you mentioned the uh, the the kind of violence and obsession with violence, and I I think uh, for many people listening to Trump, one of the kind of strange things is the often very graphic violent language that he uses in describing crime. It's not enough to say somebody is killed. He wants to say how they were killed, how many times they were shot or stabbed. What is that about?
0: Well so that's you know that's about demonization and that is something that Stephen Miller is is behind. Stephen Miller is behind Trump's extremely gory vivid descriptions of alleged migrant crimes, everything from describing how a migrant crushes a woman's eye sockets or skull with a hammer, you know, talking about migrants slaughtering or butchering little girls, just really gruesome depictions of violence that Stephen Miller inserts into Trump's speeches to incite, you know, white fear and white hatred in, in the same way that it was incited in him when he was a teenager, you know, his, his former mentor, David, his mentor, David Horowitz, you know, t- tells me that he thinks he may have been the one to introduce Stephen Miller to this white supremacist website called American Renaissance, which all the, all they do is, you know, they, they, they push out false and misleading crime statistics about, Black and brown communities to paint them as innately more violent than than white people. And, and this has the effect of, it's a very effective recruiting tactic in white supremacist circles, and it also is very effective, you know, in Trump's speeches to, to rally people around him as this figure that is somehow going to save civilization from this imagined threat of, you know, first it was immigrants, now it's Black Lives Matter. Um, but when you look at the real statistics, you know, immigrants are far less likely to commit crimes than c- citizens. And, you know, these statistics that are, are being pumped out are, and, and these anecdotes that Stephen Miller chooses are, are very very misleading as far as, you know, the, the violence in, 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 these, in these communities.
1: So the title of your book refers to the white nationalist agenda. What, sort of draw this thing out. What is the agenda mm-hmm. that Trump and Stephen Miller, um, what's the vision of America that they have going forward? What would it actually look like?
0: Well, they would never say this, but they want a white majority. I mean, that at least this is – Trump is not really an ideologue. I think he—he's it's clear that, you know, he's very self-serving, and for him, he'll, he'll go whatever route he thinks will keep him in power. But Stephen Miller is a true fanatic, and he believes, you know, these narratives that he's been fed – since he was a teenager, that, that if you don't have a white majority in, in the United States, then somehow this is going to be detrimental to, to our civilization. And this is why, you know, when I talk about the white nationalist agenda, I, I'm talking about how, you know, Stephen Miller's Policies disproportionately impact families from Latin America and from Africa, most of them people who have broken no laws. There's this idea that Trump likes to put out that his immigration policies are about law and order, that they're targeting criminals and cartels. But when you look at the man who is shaping Trump's immigration policies, You see that he's pulling policies directly from think tanks that were created created by eugenicists who believe in population control for non white people, and this is why they primarily affect refugees and asylum seekers, you know families who are fleeing persecution and you know and so tr- Stephen miller has slashed refugee admissions to new historic lows every year he's slowly dismantled the asylum system at the us mexico border so that it basically does not exist anymore and he you know in response to the pandemic they slashed green card access which steven miller had already been targeting and now they're talking about you know potentially ending birthright citizenship the, the right to be citizens if you are born in this country so so this idea that this is about people who are breaking the law is completely false. For Stephen Miller, this is about re-engineering the demographic flows into this country to keep black and brown families out.
1: Hmm. So fast forward to right now, this week, President Trump is visiting Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, the site of a police killing of an unarmed black man and numerous pro- you know, racial justice protests. Where do you see this going? We've got 60 days or so to the election. And knowing what you know about Stephen Miller and Donald Trump, what are you most concerned about?
0: Well, Trump through the you know, through the influence of Stephen Miller breathes life into extremism on both sides of the political spectrum and it is something that he is doing deliberately because he understands that chaos in the streets you know foments this vision this apocalyptic vision that that you know that that he that he that only he can save the united states and that you know there's this radical left that wants to destroy the country so you you know you see him not condemning these uh, right-wing extremists and and only talking about left-wing extremism when in fact and Antifa has not been responsible for a single murder since the 1990s, with the exception, possibly, of what the the most the recent murder in, in Portland. Although we still don't have the details of that, but right wing extremists are responsible for most massacres, like what we saw in El Paso last August, where a man, you know, gunned down 23 people, imagining that he was saving the United States from a Hispanic invasion. And Trump is deliberately fueling these. You know these these white savior mentalities and 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 encouraging people to go out there and defend civilization with with their weapons when, you know, in reality these protests are are largely peaceful uh, and and are meant to protest police brutality. But you know he he's through his language he's fueling extremists on both sides and they end up clashing and and I think the 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 you know the. The threat is, you know, the the risk is that we're just going to see more and more of that. We're going to see more violence and and Trump is going to do nothing to counter that because it serves him politically.
1: Hmm. What led you to want to spend significant time and resources writing about a, a political figure who many people have never heard of?
0: Well, I mean, I just I felt it was really important to shed light on Stephen Miller, because he is the most powerful advisor in the White House. He is having an impact on your life, regardless of whether you care about immigration or not. You know, he he's a public relations flack who At the age of 31 was essentially put in charge of the Department of Homeland Security, which is supposed to have this very broad mandate to protect the American people from everything from pandemics to terrorism to cyber warfare into something that was laser focused in uh, on keeping out migrant families and is now being used as a political weapon against American citizens on the streets of Democrat run or Democrat leaning cities like we see in Portland, you know, you have the department of Homeland security being weaponized against American citizens. And most of the top positions at this very important department are either vacant or held by people in acting capacity, including the secretary. And this is deliberate. This allows Stephen Miller to ram his agenda through this very powerful department. And, you know, it's, 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 it's. I wanted to make sure that people understood, you know, how impactful this man has been. And as someone who had been covering the human consequences of his policies as an immigration reporter at the busiest border crossing in the country, for me, it was it was important to to peek behind the curtain and try to understand the man who who was shaping these policies.
1: Where do you think that this goes? Um, let's say Trump does not win. Uh, There's a lot of talk about, you know, defeating Trump doesn't defeat Trumpism. What becomes of Stephen Miller and the forces he's unleashed? How much of a factor do you think they'll be in our society?
0: Well, they're definitely not going to go away. Um, And especially because Stephen Miller is, is a fanatic. I think that he, if Trump were to lose I think that he would become even more consumed with his mission and, and trying to find ways to, to divide the American people based on skin color, based on political affiliation, based on nationality. Um, because, you know, again, like he thinks that he is somehow saving the United States by by doing this. They, they talk about the threat of multiculturalism, but they foment, you know, division and polarization pur- purposely for for political gain. And I think that, you know, Fox News and a lot of these other conservative outlets have started to realize, you know, through alliances with Stephen Miller, that, that using the most incendiary language, the most, the language that echoes white supremacists, that language is extremely effective at making money and at giving you power. And, and it's a Pandora's box that has been opened. I mean, that's, those are the words that were used by Stephen Miller's aunt when I was interviewing her for the book. She says, Stephen Miller has opened up this Pandora's box of hatred, and she has no idea how we're ever going to get it to closed shut. And I think one of the ways to do that is, you know, to get more informed and to learn about the people who are behind this. And, and that's why I wrote the book.
1: From your insights into the white nationalist and white supremacist movements, what is their kryptonite? What is the key to stopping them?
0: Man, I I wish I knew. I mean, well, I suspect that, you know, it's getting called out and being labeled uh, accurately because they're so offended and hysterical about the so called cancel culture, which is in the way that they use it, it's they're lumping together all of the critics of white male supremacy and, and demonizing them and uh, inverting the moral value of their arguments in order to silence, in order to cancel them. Um, but this obsession with, you know, cancel culture being this grave threat to civilization, which you hear Stephen Miller using, you heard in the RNC again and again, it, to me that reflects that, 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 you know, they, they try to d- demonize criticism as, as cancel culture, but I, but I think it's because they realize that the more, that they are you know held accountable for their hate speech the 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 less powerful they will be so i think it's simple i think it boils down to you you, you know the media has to get more <sighs> you know, they they have to be more courageous about using true words to describe people in positions of power. I think journalists, even in progressive newsrooms for a very long time, have shied away from using words like racist to describe people because we do not know what is in their hearts. But I think that when you have, you know, documents, when you have a person's emails when you when you understand when you have evidence that people are deliberately inciting hatred and because they see its political utility then i think that we need to call it out for what it is which is hate mongering and you know hopefully slowly open up people's eyes and and disempower some some of these white supremacists who have infiltrated our institutions
1: well jean guerrero i want to thank you for joining us this week on the vermont conversation
0: thanks so much for having me
1: Gene Guerrero is a journalist and the author, most recently, of Hatemonger, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, and the White Nationalist Agenda. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.